0: This is the Armchair Cricket
1: Podcast. Sit back and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Armchair Cricket Podcast, a podcast focusing on Test Cricket by Armchair Critics of the Game. I'm your host, Ajit. Today with me, I have a returning guest, Manjunath. Hello, Manjunath. Welcome to the Armchair Cricket Podcast.
0: Yeah, Hi, Ajit. Thanks a lot for having me as always.
1: No, It's always a pleasure hosting you, right? It's always a lot of fun chatting with you about cricket and cricket-related topics. But before we go there, I know I work as a frontline health worker in India. So, how are things related to COVID uh, in your part of India, Manju?
0: Yeah, so the April 4th, uh, we started with the second wave uh, with uh, reports coming in from Delhi and the uh, northern part of the country where a lot of deaths uh, were reported and a lot of infections. And then the south uh, just caught up recently in the month of May. But right now the positivity rate is just coming down. So I think we should, we are heading for a sort of plateau in the number of cases, new cases. So I'm just hopeful that uh, the number will reduce further. So I'm optimistic uh, to say this, put it lightly.
1: Good to hear. Our day to day cases, I mean, do you see it's uh, dipping sufficiently or do you still see a lot of pain and suffering? Uh,
0: yes, the pain and suffering which we see is the quantum is less because there are more survivors and uh, we see more of sequelae like complications uh, which are there like fungal infections and also uh, there were a few uh, people who had to undergo amputations for their limbs so there are a few uh, complications compared to the wake of the seriousness it is less but uh, definitely th- there is a quantum of disease load in the society even for those who haven't succumbed to the virus so that is one of the important parts
1: i understand where you're coming from i, I mean, you know, we really hope These other things, which usually wait until, as you say, you know, once the water has receded, come the diseases. They say, so I'm really hoping it's not like that, and uh, it's 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 a small wave rather than a big wave of these side diseases or these, you know, other uh, other things that come after the big one. And anyway, they're they're also predicting a possible third wave, so I'm uh, I'm really hoping, you know, the third, at least the second wave is supposed to be the most devastating, so the third wave is supposed to be much milder as far as predictions go. So we are really hoping that's how it pans out in, in uh, your part of India.
0: Cannot stress enough on the importance of vaccination. So yeah. even some of our listeners, those who are able to get uh, your vaccines, please go and get them. It's only sincere advice from us.
1: A good point. So I can tell you I've got the dates for my own vaccination. Okay, that's great. So I'm really hoping to also be able to get vaccinated as soon as possible and you know looking forward to other things as close to coming back to normal it's it's sort of unrealistic yet but uh you know maybe you travel outside of uh, my city or my country i don't know uh, what what we can do let's see but uh all right uh good to know things are on the mend and at least this so-called second wave is on the wane rather than it's still pulling uh very high numbers but as i said uh, you know wishing you uh, with your everyday work uh, all the best from uh, you know me my co-host and everyone here that we know because i think you are one of the few frontline workers that i know personally and you probably see a lot of uh yeah a lot of pain and suffering due to this uh disease in the last one one and a half years thank you so now on to slightly lighter matters well cricket yeah. so i think first let's begin with the uh, wonderful uh, test that just ended yesterday so it was the england and new zealand uh, test the first test held at lords the first test of summer you know it's sort of Test in England is sort of the hallmark of summer for us. Summer has begun, so to say, right? Yes. Well, I mean, a good test match. Uh, unfortunately, a whole day was lost and I think it robbed us of a potential result. Otherwise, I think the test match was set beautiful, set up beautifully, Manjanath.
0: Yeah, definitely. And after watching the Brisbane game, most of the Indian fans were wondering as to why certain tactics were adopted in the final stages. But ultimately, you know, playing for safety is also one of the very old uh, strategies of the test uh, test format. So I think we should also appreciate that, uh, like England didn't lose it. So that was uh, to say fair to say that.
1: Correct. I mean, it was a very sporting declaration, right? From K. Williamson yes, yes. to make even a potential fourth innings happen. They could have just batted out the whole day if they wanted, or three-fourth of the whole day, whatever. Right? I mean, some yes, tests, yes. some teams do if it's the first match of a five-match series or something. Some teams tend to make it as a statement so that it can you can grind the opposition down for the upcoming tests. Usually, the fourth, fifth tests yeah. are always decisive, something like this, right? Uh, but in this case, uh, it was a very nice sporting declaration from Cale Williamson, and uh, they tried to push. But then I think England basically shut shop, which is which is a part, which is a big deal, and it's a big part of Test cricket, what you correctly pointed out, right? and Correct. frankly command comparing it to i think this comparisons to gaba will always come
0: yeah yeah
1: yeah but frankly it was wasn't it once in a lifetime for many of us probably that sort of a chase or once in a generation at least
0: definitely so like all those who have been happy to watch the chase should just uh, like they should be sh- they should be aware that you know the other situations are different so they cannot extrapolate everything to the rishabh Pant or that kind of effort so it's very less likely to happen again. I may still be wrong, but
1: still. There are always one of those chases. I think there was a West Indies versus England test in 84, if I'm not wrong, where Gordon Greenwich yeah. was limping and he hit 200 on the last day and they West Indies won. In, when in those days, 314, 315 or even 320 in a 70-hour game was almost unbelievable. But they chased it down in 70-75 yeah. hours. But those happen once in a generation. But otherwise, yeah. it was still such a nice, exciting test, right? So. First of all some very uh, exciting uh, news if you are a New Zealand fan because Devon Conway who sort of after his debut has shown he's belonged he belongs at the highest level there are no doubts right so he proved that again on debut at lords double 100 a double 100 in the mid-in game well, what do you take away from this innings from Devon Conway
0: yeah mainly it shows that uh, he has the technical adaptation for test cricket so there was not too much of any trigger movement or any shuffle and he doesn't use any of these fancy uh, like quirks and technique which so many people keep on discussing. So I think it's all falling well in place for him. And overall, I really enjoyed his. Uh, some of his cover drives were really good to watch. And uh, it reminds us of another uh, debutant in 96. So uh, it's very difficult to c- compare them mm. because he has a good on game also Conway. But uh, definitely it is good like to see another left-hander make his debut and do well. So that's a good uh, good sign.
1: Well, hang on to that point because uh, today's uh, trivia question will be based on that something like that, okay. right? Maybe multiple left-handers who got their debut hundreds at right. are in yeah. England,
0: right? So right.
1: we'll we'll get to that. But well, when you look at the rest of the innings, at some point in time, in New Zealand, were in a bit of trouble when they lost yeah. Ross Taylor for 114. Right. It could have been that you know they could have maybe been bundled out for 200 or 220. But again, in comes Henry Nichols. You know, he's such an underrated player as far as New Zealand are concerned, but also anywhere else. And, you know, if you look at who has consistently averaged above 50 in the last four years, right? You have all all the obvious suspects. You have Virat Kohli, you have Kane Williamson, and you have Stephen Smith. And guess who the fourth name to that list is? It is this guy, Henry Nichols. I mean, he doesn't have a very flattering average, like he doesn't top 15 yet because i think in the first couple of his tests he didn't have such a high average mm. but in the last four years he's averaged about 50 right mm. with about 600s this is what i read mm. so a very unsung character very much in the mold of a new zealand cricketer he makes 61 and along with uh, Conway make sure you know new zealand are not bundled out
0: yeah that was very important at that point because they uh, after that they the mark would trigger a collapse and like they had even three wickets like 6 7 and 8 gone for one run uh, so they didn't have any contribution from the middle order. So literally they that partnership propped them up and helped them reach the 378, which they reached eventually. So definitely that uh, even India could do with uh, someone like that, who can hold one hand up and you know build a partnership in that way.
1: What he, say, what he says, right, probably somebody like, you know, I think you're Rahane, Arahane can yeah. be a bit more attacking in this game, of course, but also right. Anma Vihari maybe, right, 5-6. Somebody who bats Correct. at 5-6 uh, can act as a fulcrum mm-hmm. around which the entire, uh, we have a slightly more active tail, I would like to think with Pant. Some, at least you mm-hmm. you might have Ashwin, you might have some spinners who can bat, right? And right, that would be a good pivot to bat around, but you're absolutely right here from 288 for three, indeed, yeah. uh, New Zealand were then looking at a 500 at that stage, but then lower middle and tail got blown away, except for Neil Wagner. He was batting at 11, but unfortunately, in this 11, he would bat at number 11. In most 11s he would be probably batting at 8 or 9. But he comes out and he waxed 25. And, you know, Mm. makes sure he takes Devon Conway to his median double 100. So, well played to Neil Wagner as well. Because, I mean, unlike normal, he didn't have a very good test with the ball. So, this was his most telling contribution, right? This innings with the bat. Anderson is, as always, he took a two for. Broad seems to be still warming up for the summer, right? But... They had the debutant, Ollie Robinson. So what did you make of his bowling in this test, uh, Manju?
0: Yeah, uh, he has a good action. Like it's a high arm. He doesn't lose height through the crease. And uh, he comes through with good energy. So he had one of the best on-field and the worst off-field start to his career. So very unfortunate for him that it's like uh, he's now a one-test wonder pending investigation. But uh, like definitely he can play the role which Stuart Broad has played over the years along with taking wickets, also. So definitely, there is a scope for him in the future, uh, What, notwithstanding whatever outcome comes out of his matter right now.
1: Well, I expect certain amount of censure, I expect a rap on the knuckles, maybe a fine.
0: Yes.
1: He's already issued an apology. On that day out came the apology. And look, he was also a teenager when he said it. Exactly. Uh, we all have made uh, silly mistakes when we were teenagers, but unfortunately, he, he compounded it by actually airing it out to the public in general, right. right? public in large, public at large. So, you know, recently I was looking at another tweet, uh, a tweet that was highlighted by a friend of the show, Shritama Panda, Matt Parkinson, the leg break bowler who sort of in and around the England set up currently. When he was a 15 year old, he called Kohli a bunch of funky names, like mm. 10 to something, yeah. right? There were Indian fans highlighting it or what appeared to be fans of Indian cricket. They were highlighting it to ECB and saying, he should also be censured or he should also be, you know, sort of mm. penalized. It's interesting. So right. this whole thing, right? Apparently, at least when I was growing up, I was always told at fifteen you cannot make such a big mistake unless you have gone and done something really drastic that might affect you when you're twenty-five. But apparently, these days mm-hmm. it can, especially if you went out online yeah. in social media and ranted right. your feelings, even whether they were funny yeah. or whether they were serious. Look, at least some of the things that Robinson said were not in any in any way funny. But to mm-hmm. so be believed, he would have grown up. Beyond that, that was an 18, 19-year-old who was probably also going through some tough times in his life. So, Oli Robinson, if you followed his career, he famously was kicked out of Yorkshire for really not being very professional. But then he landed up at Sussex, where again under the coaching of uh, Jason Gillespie, he sort of turned his life and his career around. And today he's playing for England. It's one of those nice stories, but unfortunately it started not in a nice way. But if you were to focus on his... On-field exploits, I think you may have a good point. I see mm-hmm. he has this, he has this never say die attitude, be it with the ball or with the bat, right?
0: That also.
1: He's he's not he's not very uh, he's not very fast. But yeah, you, you could say he could be setting himself up for a potential role of a Stuart Broad. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I was really hoping somebody like Chris Wokes would mature and then take yeah. the role of a Anderson. But it yeah. could be that these two, you know, Wokes, Robinson, you used to. We would still have somebody like Mark Wood and Ollie Stone, and of course, let's not forget yeah. that guy Archer. Right? He's not here in this level. Yeah. So like, these are all. These are all very nice prospects, and you have Overton twins, right? And yeah. you have uh, the Curran brothers. You have a lot of other good fast bowlers, right? Who are also lurking in the background. So, I think England. They're very. They are very blessed when it comes to this fast fast bowling riches. So
0: yeah.
1: Well, one thing I wanted to ask, given that a day was lost probably that result would never materialize. But did you think England got their balance right when they did not select any spinner for this test?
0: Yeah, that is a very interesting point. Uh, The problem is that many times, uh, like they are playing in their home conditions. So uh, like, although there are a few counties, like if you see there is Taunton, a few grounds where they get very dry and they are good. The spinner comes into the game. So probably they could have analyzed the conditions better because definitely there was some turn on offer. So like when they were stuck and not getting wickets, definitely a spinner would have been a good option. I don't know what would be the confidence level of best, but maybe Jack Leach fitness permitting, he could have been there in the fold in place of maybe another all-rounder or another seamer. So that is something they have to see, like how to utilize their spinners more efficiently. Like, even if it's home conditions, you need not be biased in selection. So that is one thing it could have been a factor.
1: I think given how Joe Jorud bowled himself in the Winter doors, exactly. I
0: think, that, I think he yes, may have
1: backed yes. himself. And he did bowl um, 10 hours 10, okay. 10 or so or 12 hours in the first innings, right? Maybe that was a missed opportunity, but it, it wasn't going to cost them anything because the test did not mm-hmm. have enough time to have a result. But when it came to England innings as well, they had, again, a similar sort of a story. One left-handed dogged opener holding one end up. Yeah. But they had, I think, a slightly better balance, Joe Root 42. Ollie Pope, Look, I'm I'm really I'm really worried about this guy. Again, he's come back into the setup, but I would like to see him score some big runs. Because yeah. there are plenty of people waiting in the wings as far as middle order batting is concerned, right? For England. You don't have yeah. Bear Stowe, Butler, uh, who are both rested. You don't have Stokes. I mean, it if is. Stokes were there, Oliver Robinson wouldn't have played, even if you wanted to play a spinner. And of course, mm-hmm. Bracy wouldn't have made his debut. Bracy had, I think, a decent debut. Not 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 much to write home about either with the bat or not much to say behind the stumps. But a decent debut. But then Ollie Robinson, I think his innings was very crucial because again, in- England could have been in lots of trouble at you know six for one forty if they were I don't know seven for one fifty five or one sixty. They could have been again bundled out for under two hundred or even just two hundred because that seventy five run cushion, whether even with the time loss, would have been a big deal. Right. So then if New Zealand had started, I don't know, 175 ahead instead of 100 ahead, uh, the whole complexion of this game could have been changed. Right. They could have as well declared very well overnight uh, with a very few addition gone, played at t20 and declared that would have probably given a full, full uh, result chance, but well done to Rory Burns. I think he was also proving a point. It was just his third hundred and he, he, he wanted one, I think, because uh, it's, it's the first test of a long long period let's say not only the summer but also for Ashes, the Ashes that's coming up in winter for England. I think they would be looking forward to you know sort of firming up their team because it's always around the Ashes isn't it for England.
0: Yeah and uh, he hit a very good slog sweep of Wagner so I enjoyed that shot a lot from Rory Burns Mm -hmm. so that shows that he's in a good mind space so uh, that is good signs for them because their opening combination was really Uh, Call to question. Even when they came to tour India, barring the first Chennai Test, they were always they would be nothing for two, next to nothing for two, and people would be struggling. So yeah, it was a different test of spin, but in the long run, it's better to have a stable opening combination.
1: Right. Look, Dom Sibley answered answered the critics. He made a dow 60. He took up three three and a half hours of time and even four hours of time, and then stood there and made sure you know he was not out. So that, that's well done to him. Joe wrote a b- bunch of 40s. Good warm-up. Oli up another 20, right? In the last mm-hmm. innings. But I mean, I think we should we should not skip the contribution of uh, Tim Saudi here. Bowling in right. very uh, very uh, you know friendly conditions. Nonetheless, he took a six four, once again ended up on the Lord's you know, honors board. Oh, no. course, Kyle Jamieson, who took the new ball ahead of uh, Trent Bolt, who was not playing, right? He took a three-four. Neil Wagner was a bit a bit costly. It's very uh, Let's say, um, uncharacteristic for a guy who's always, you know, such a workhorse. Colin home, mm-hmm. very parsimonious in both the innings, pretty much. Mitchell Santner, when you look at it that way, right? If Kane Williamson or somebody could twirl a few overs, they could have filled in that role. They could have had another full okay. bowler, probably, or another full batsman there. But, well, Mitchell Santner did his, did his bit, I would say, Santner. So, that was okay. But, all in all, a very enthralling test. It sets up now... Uh, one off series, right? Whoever takes that test will probably win the series because you can't see two draws unless it's very severely weather affected, do you think, in England?
0: Yeah, definitely. In England is a place where fans like also they expect results. And rightly so, because of the weather, the game can move very fast. Teams collapse in a session or under one and a half sessions or they can be like a long partnership, like how Headingley 2002 in pitch dark Dada and all they cashed in when Uh, Sanjay Bangar had done the hard work in the morning. So things can turn around very quickly. So it is an exciting uh, next test actually.
1: Absolutely. Look, um, one other thing that was of interest for me is uh, both the captains felt the scoring was a bit slow compared to previous seasons on this game. Therefore, maybe it cost them a result option. But I thought it was a very keenly contested test. And look, come the second test, Both teams have chosen to add a few players. So, for example, Dombes is back in the mix. I think he looked good in his uh, county games that he was playing for Yorkshire. So, I think the England uh, management like what they've seen so far and he's back. And of course, uh, Trent Bolt. Trent Bolt is now, I think he's coming out of quarantine a bit earlier. So, Hmm. there are some relaxations in quarantine we hear. And uh, he may actually get a chance to warm up properly. We'll play a test for the World Test Championship.
0: For best also the there has been a lot of problem of this full tosses. Right. So I think in India he just helped uh, our batsman. Every now and then he would serve a beautiful gift mm-hmm. and will be gleefully accepted. So I think if he's just if he can come out of that and maybe bowl six good balls, it will be a great thing for him.
1: That way indeed you're absolutely right. He did not look international cricket ready. But you know, cricketers mature in their own time sometimes. Yeah there is a, there is a saying Correct. it's an old school saying of course that spinners come into their own only when they are about 30 until then you Correct. it takes that much time for you to understand your art and try to be mm. comfortable with what you have and understand you can do a lot with what you have you don't have to have a dusra or um, this and that you know yeah. when you are young you can get a bit swayed away yeah
0: definitely. right
1: so now shifting the focus a little bit to the world test championship that's coming up we know the indian team has landed the Indian men's team and the Indian women's team both have landed in England, right? And apparently, in a in a nice gesture, it looks like even their families are allowed to join them for a period of the tour, not the entire tour, of course, but uh, for a short period of tour, even their families are allowed to join them. Uh, do you think this will this will go a long way in sort of keeping the players in the right mindset? Because there is such a thing called bubble fatigue, right? We've read enough about it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Recently, even Andre Russell has uh, gone on record saying that how the bubble to bubble life is affecting his health. So it will definitely help. And even when Mumbai won the first pandemic, post pandemic IPL, Mm -hmm. one of the key factors was how the management ensured the families with the players. So it will definitely be a good, uh, good sign for the days to come.
1: Indeed. So I think that's some lessons learned by the Indian management. Uh, Previously, it used to be always in the latter half of the tour, families used to join the players. So it's also nice to see that both men's and women's players are allowed to bring some family, so that you know both are allowed to make sure that their mental, their their mental fitness also remains the same through the tour. It's going to be a grueling tour, right? So if women are going to play the test uh, before the men, uh, or rather yeah. alongside the men. It it was a bit it it was a bit weird to see that, but well, we, we've already yeah. we've already complained about it in one of our previous episodes. But it it comes back to me that maybe yeah. it could have been in you know, a better uh, schedule, so that focus could have been on the women's yeah. test, as a day night test, played with the pink ball, it could have been a wonderful outing. Mm-hmm. As a cricket fan, I'm not complaining, right? So I get to start the day with men's test and end it with the women's test, so to say. So yeah. why not? Good, good. Now, if you were to take a look at some of the other cricket happening around uh, these parts, that is in the Netherlands, so we have this wonderful three one-day series that was played a bilateral series between uh, Netherlands and Ireland. So... Netherlands walked away with a 2-1 series win. Well, it's the first time they've ever beaten Ireland in two games. Previously, they have played Ireland in 11 games and they had only beaten them once in ODIs. Some some interesting stats have come across. But when you look at it, it's been a relatively low-scoring series, uh, Manjunath. What do you think about it?
0: Yeah, there have been a few slow innings also. It, uh, it has uh, taken us back to the old school maybe odi cricket and sometimes uh, you know a low scoring game can still be interesting and there were games going to the last over so like maybe the could it could be the thrill of odi cricket people will disagree with me t20 fans but i still feel you know if we have a few like 240 250 games which we used to have earlier in odi cricket we may rediscover the love for the format maybe maneuvering the runs and that way, like when it's a little difficult for scoring, uh, rather than having these belters, which are an extension of a T20 game. So that way, I feel it was good. Uh, I couldn't watch it. I just followed it through commentary. It was quite good.
1: I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. The other thing is, look, every every venue has its own sort of average score. And I was recently looking at uh, Dhaka, Shere Bangla. I was quite surprised that the average is 240 there even in modern cricket that's yeah. that's yeah. quite low but you know in this ground uh, and kampong at utrecht maybe mm. the average yeah. score is 200 because the batsmen seem to struggle there right. was there seem to be even bounce i was looking at some of the games in patches but the batsmen always seem to struggle i don't know if it's something to do with the quality of the bowling or just batsmen not having the touch because they are coming back into competitive cricket after a while or just that the conditions are a bit tough for me, it was somewhat a combination of all three because bowling from both sides dominated, no doubt. When you look at the scores, that then 200 was never topped in the entire three-game series. And it was almost always a chasing game, right? In the first game, Ireland were very unlucky to lose by one run because I think in the end, they bottled it. Because up until about five hours to go, they were more or less in control because... No, Netherlands really huffed and puffed their way to 195. That too, thanks to almost a runner ball, 49 by Tim van der Kuchten in the first ODI, because they were mm-hmm. only a bunch of 20s before that. There's nothing really in the that scorecard. Well, right. Craig Young, three wickets. Simi Singh, one wicket, but very restrictive. And then Josh Little, three wickets. right? So, Josh Little was, for me, Ireland's Josh Little has been quite a revelation. He bowls fast when he wants to. And he brings the left-arm variety. And he brings a bit of threat to the batsmen. So, this is very nice to see. Right? And they have a bunch of steady seamers as well. Craig Young, Barry McCarthy. So, all in all, they made use of the conditions and the good bounce that was available. 195, I mean, there is no way you can say how well the match is going to go. Right? Both teams might face the same sort of situation. Exactly same thing happened. So, Paul Sterling batting right at the top held the innings together until he came across Simi Singh, who was batting at number 7. And these both were the people that sort of, you know, built the innings back up. Because... At some point in time, it it looked even tough whether there's going to be a game because 5 for 69, it could have been 130 all out or 120 all out. But Paul Sterling decided to wait out. He knew he has the big shots. I think he got out at a very unfortunate time. You know, 6 for 135, uh, around the 37th over. Otherwise, he would have taken Ireland home comfortably with two or three overs to spare. This is my feeling. Simi Singh is good. Mm -hmm. He has all the defensive strokes, but he couldn't lift the run rate when required because. In the last two or three hours, there was a bit of panic running from Ireland. As a result, they couldn't make it. Simi Singh was run out in the first ball of the last over. That could have been pivotal. But I think all yeah. in all, they would probably blame themselves because Dutch bowling was pretty steady as well. All the wickets were shared. Captain Peter Selar bowled the crucial 47th over as a spinner, left-arm spinner. I mean, he could have gotten it for one or yeah. two sixes, and that would have been very dangerous in that situation, right? Because were, it was only run a ball. Yeah. But... He took a couple of wickets and like hardly gave away any runs in the tour. I saw that that phase the last four hours of Ireland innings. I saw it live. That was a very th- thrilling game, the first one. And the next two have been a bit one-sided, right? So Ireland were going to come back, you knew right. it. So whoever batted first are finding it very tough. So batting first, Netherlands made right. only 157 and in almost 50 hours, 49.2 hours. So it's it's becoming apparently tougher to score because again. Just a bunch of twenties and then Max O'Dowd, who made thirty-six, right? He was bold of a beauty. So that ball I got to catch because mm-hmm. the ball was pitching on middle hitting off, like a fast leg break or something. Of little, mm-hmm. not a lot to do. Right. Again, Craig Young four and Josh Little four wickets. And chasing that, well, Ireland were not going to give it away anymore. William Portfield not did not have a good good season or a good good series. But Paul Sterling again, fifty-two. Andy Balbany, the skipper, sixty three, and Harry Tector, thirty. They finished it off without any any fuss that set up the decider beautifully and then in the decider very interestingly Ireland won the toss but they chose to back in the last game that, 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 that was pretty interesting they were probably backing their batsmen from who were doing good in the previous game right and they had they included Kevin O'Brien right at the top of the order unfortunately it was not meant to be in this case Clasen Fred Clasen again he's a left arm pacer he's not as fast as Josh Little or somebody but he bowls beautiful swing he took out both Kevin O'Brien and Paul Sterling in the first four overs or so after that, it was always going to be tough because these two were the big hitters in the eleven. Balbirney thirteen, Hector okay. and George Dockrell, who's come back now as a batsman, middle order yeah. batsman. He made forty, but they took yeah. a lot of balls over it. Simi Singh twenty one not out in the end, but again, nearly into the fiftieth over, Ireland could only make hundred and sixty three. So in this case, the Dutch mm. seamers bowled very well. Tim van der Gugten and Frederick lassen Vivian Kingma had only one wicket to show for it, but he was good. Logan van Beek three wickets, right? And then when it came to Dutch innings, Steven Mayburg played a wonderful innings. He played the role of pretty much Paul Sterling's first uh, ODI, you know, sort of where he won the game though, because they were chasing that much less, 30, 40 runs less, because the Dutch also scored it in the 46th over. Pretty much at the end of 46 hours, they scored it because they also struggled, except for Steven Mayburg, 74, and Max O'Dowd, who made another 36, very crucial 36. The first pair put on 66 for the first pick. If that had not happened, if they had even made 30 or 35, this could have been a very close game, I think. But Steven Mayberg made sure he batted through, and he won the game for the Dutch. So, a very deserved victory as far as Netherlands are concerned, right? And uh, they also had a lot of homegrown talent that has come through the you know the junior levels. So, that was nice to see. If you're a Dutch cricket fan, Bas de Lida, Musa Ahmed, right? There are plenty of names here that you know you could expect will serve dutch cricket for a decade or more to come so all in all if you are a dutch cricket fan or fan of cricket just below the highest tier this was a wonderful series it's a, it's a good way to tell the organizers something do you think manju
0: yeah the associate teams i think they should drop the term associate for like for them and maybe call it something better uh, afghanistan is something people know because of the t20 leagues and their players grown names but definitely there exists a lot of talent, uh, even Zimbabwe is making a result. Uh, so definitely they should promote it further.
1: Absolutely. So I hope we get to see more yes. ODI series or limited or games between uh, some of these other nations exactly. who are you know right at the cusp of the top 10. And uh, they have a point to prove. Well, Ireland would want to play a lot of tests as well. So I mean, this brings back the same story where maybe ICC can explore a multi-tier league both in ODI I mean ODI is probably not anymore but at least when it comes to tests they should explore a multi-tier league allow these other teams to play among themselves but grow grow into strong teams very quickly you know teams like India New Zealand took even Bangladesh took a lot of time and a lot of tests to sort of mature into that that level of maturity that can only come exactly. by playing long format cricket for many many games so if if ICC wants to sort of make it a bit fast, Make this learning loop a bit shorter, they could probably club a bunch of these teams, start a second tier test league, and ensure you know there are probably two players, two teams that are promoted every world test championship yeah. cycle, right? Out of some six or eight, you could already see Zimbabwe, Afghanistan, Ireland, right? And then uh, you could see Namibia, maybe Kenya, if I don't know where yeah, Papua cricket is in from. Stages, but Papua New Guinea, hmm. right? Yes, I can already count.
0: Yeah, Nepal. right?
1: Yeah. Nepal, maybe. Nepal as well. So we can ourselves count enough teams here who would probably be very, very interested. But then the problem is uh, there has to be a major injection of cash because right. I don't think Test cricket is still a commodity that these countries can sell among themselves, even if they were to host each other. So ICC would have to bring in some money and maybe not a lot of revenues would be generated from TV rights and other things, which all these big teams count on, right? Mm. You know, speaking of tv rights uh, the indian limited overs tour of sri lanka has more or less been confirmed yeah. with uh, you know second string india squad that's going to go to sri lanka between 13th and 25th so you know this announcement okay. came from the official broadcaster sony well bcci hmm. had sort, sort of already announced the dates
0: hmm. but
1: the broadcaster is actually drumming up interest right this is how powerful having a right. team even if your second string team can come play it's, that's the amount of audience you'd bring with you, right? This 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 channel can take care of all the fanfare that is supposed to be there because they can make up or they can come up with these rivalries that are already present, right? So, for example, they are saying Shikhar Dhawan or Pandya could be one of the people leading the side, or Shreyas Iyer, who's been earmarked for greater things even at a higher level, could be one of the leaders. Then they're saying, of course, uh, Rahul Dravid might take over as the coach, who's usually sort of the de facto coach of India, A and other teams. So he would probably take over as a coach for this tour, right, while Ravi Shastri uh, is with the main team in England. So, you know, I, I come across a bit of jealousy in some of our uh, neighboring cricket teams at times when they talk about Indian cricket team and um, there was recently one of their, their ex-captains slash selectors who said India has as many as 50 players mm-hmm. ready to play inter- international cricket at the drop of a hat and uh, there are many people who came up with oh 50 is too much I think uh, you're being uh, unnecessarily uh, you know praising the Indian team because you're unnecessarily praising them look 50 people so and then that specific guy who was sort of ended up countering his own okay. argument because he counted up to 45 by himself if you just look at the number of people that are currently on tour or will be on tour mm. come july 10th right that will be 45 so that's yes, actually 45 yes. people who are good enough to play international cricket so <clears throat> it, it was a fun 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 thing for as a fan to hear right so that's just a quick aside but you know the main main thing if you were to look at it is that uh, sri lanka's england tour mm. right is now looking in jeopardy because um, 38 sri Lankas players these are all top uh, players in the island and in the men's cricket and 38 players have refused to sign the new contract at least the new touring contract so what has happened is they are being they have been playing on touring contracts or you know like holding contracts because the um, contract system is up for a rehaul and they have invented a new way but apparently the players are not happy because in a country like sri lanka where there are probably 38 to 40 elite cricketers who represent sri lanka in all formats now it looks like all thirty-eight of them have refused to sign the contract. I don't know what this really means. We really hope it doesn't yeah. devolve into something right. that happened with uh, West Indies. Uh, but
0: uh, like, if their players' association uh, is definitely strong, then uh, they will have their way. Uh, like how David Warner was at the forefront. But I don't know, like Sri Lanka, uh, how it pans out. It will be interesting to see. So because it will have to be seen from the perspective of both the. Uh, both the sides, like from the board side and the player side, but definitely like maybe if it it translates to better facilities for them while on tour, while on quarantine, it should be a win-win situation for the players.
1: Hmm. Well, I mean, it pretty much covers everybody who's played for Sri Lanka in the previous couple of two to three years, I would dare say. It includes their uh, mm-hmm. current skier, test skipper, Dimut Karunaratna, big names like Angela Matthews, right? newcomers like Dananjaya De Silva, all the big bowlers. right? It's very weird to see such a huge list of people uh, really mm-hmm. revolting, but maybe they have a point. Maybe you know the new committee that's been uh, headed by Arvinda De Silva, the technical committee and uh, Sri Lanka's new director of cricket, Tom Moody, may have to consider a few other things. Probably revolution is Correct. going to come, but not as quickly as they would like. Let me put it like this, but revolution has to come right this because the contracts were very heavily um, accountability based, probably something that is irking many of the current and ex big names in and around the setup. Right. So we'll see how this pans out. Unfortunately, we really hope it's just a storm in the teacup rather than anything bigger. Now, um, PSL is set to resume. So from 9th of June, we are expecting PSL will be resuming and the final is slated for 24th of, uh, this month, right? So it's a very short turnaround, but then after that, around 27th, already the Pakistani players would be leaving for England because they have a small limited overs leg as well. While, uh, India and uh, New Zealand will be locking horns in the world test championship shortly after that, Pakistan will play a few limited overs games in England. So. It remains to be seen whether, you know, it it, it seems like a slightly tight schedule, but we really hope uh, ah, this comes to pass and it's something nice that uh, Pakistan is always a very exciting team to watch when they're touring because they have a good, they almost, they almost always carry a good battery of fast bowlers. So it remains to be seen how this goes. So, but nonetheless, I would say congratulations to PCB if they're able to swing through and hold um, the remainder of PSL in UAE because. Look, yeah. UAE is now due for a bumper year correct? because uh, at least IPL, at least now we hear some rumors, right? So IPL will probably be held in this window between yeah. September 15th and October 15th in UAE, right? It's, it's going to be a bit of a stretch because right. it, it's still very warm in UAE in those months. So if you are having back-to-back games, it's going to be very tough for the first game that's being held much earlier in the day. But I think BCC is trying to uh, minimize the number of back-to-back uh, games they're going to have in a day. They're going to try to probably reduce mm-hmm. it from 10 to 4 or 5 they're trying to see, right? But then, you know, if the final, let's say, of IPL is on October 15th, there's not a lot of time right. left to the World uh, Cup. And for now, we hear the World Cup might very well be held in UAE as well because that's the way ICC is leaning, right? The Indian board has not sort of given up because they're still looking to Sort out a few things. There are some uh, there is some disgruntlement from ICC about the uh, test, uh, sorry, the tax session and the tax benefits that they are supposed to get, and some other things. So ICC is trying to push BCCI to say yes quickly. But even in the meeting that happened recently, ICC could not get BCCI to say okay, let's host the World Cup in uh, UAE because I think I think BCCI is still trying to keep an eye out in India. But you think that's that's realistic, even even though we may say a third wave may have come and gone, you you are somebody who works in the medical profession. You probably have a better idea. Uh, no, is that because, even realistic uh, the, to consider?
0: Main, more than the wave, it is the thing that, you know, is it feasible to manage the logistics of a tournament in the middle of the wave? Uh, because many times, like if suppose that I can tell you the live example of Vankhede Stadium or uh, Kotla, uh, like a lot of scores of personnel have to be diverted to manage just these places because uh, like obviously if it is a closed door it is one part of the problem but even if it uh, like one side but if they are allowing limited crowds like suppose let us be optimistic so still a lot of machinery state machinery will be diverted to the conduct of the games so in that event then like uh, and with add to added to that the tax benefit problem which you raised so definitely it may be a deterrent for them from holding it in india so let us hope that if things improve well enough like at least there'll be some refreshment for the fans like who are longing to maybe have a stadium experience uh, with a little bit precautions so if it comes to that i'll be very happy otherwise even a closed door game will be okay so uh, let us see how it comes yeah
1: right let's absolutely absolutely i mean this is this this is going to stay hard for another yes. 2 to 3 weeks at least until these decisions are taken i think but let's see uh, but uh, yeah, from what we read and what we really can see in the wind, ICC wants it in UAE, and probably that's how it's going to be. At okay. least COVID will be a sufficiently big enough reason that it's going to be more to UAE. But then I think UAE will be under a bit of stress or not, depending on how you look at it, because they have been doing it. Uh, they did it with PSL. They will probably get to do it with IPL. They'll be really drummed, or they'll be really well drilled when it comes to right. um, hosting a multi-team tournament. When it comes to logistics and other things, right? So. We really hope that's how it's going to go now um when we look at how you know the csa awards night went about i think there are two big winners here so for men it is enric norkia and uh, for women it's shabnil ismail shabnim ismail because enric norkia has won a bunch of awards so he was the test cricketer of the year he's um, the players player of the year and fans player of the year. So that's fantastic Heinrich Norke I think a big strides because yes. if you remember last year he was the best newcomer. Right? From there to become the best player that's that's a big step up but it's not that big a deal apparently in South mm-hmm. African cricket because 12 people have done it. That consecutive years they have been um you know best newcomer to best player. That's fantastic to read. And in mm-hmm. women's cricket Shabnim Ismail has won the best uh, women's cricketer of course um Lizzie Lee has won the odi cricketer and uh, again in this case shabnim yes. shabnim ismail has also won the t20a cricketer right so congratulations to them and the other winners uh, in the last news that we would like to discuss uh, some more tumult in uh, afghanistan cricket because asgar afghan has been sacked as the afghanistan test captain so apparently some of his decision making was not appreciated or even the first test loss to zimbabwe mm-hmm. that in the recently concluded series that finished one all right uh that is that is put directly at his door at Asghar Afghans captaincy and as a result uh, well in 15 months is a long time to be a skipper of any team frankly and he's lost the captaincy currently so hashmatullah shahidi who scored a double hundred in the second test and sort of took afghanistan to a comfortable victory there right he'll be the new test and odi skipper and rahmat shah will be his deputy the guy who bats above him in the order number 3 rahmat shah but um, we don't know what it means for the career of Asgharov Khan from this point on because he himself scored a big 164, if you remember, in the second test and took uh, Afghanistan to victory. Uh, interestingly, Rashid Khan had been offered the T20A captaincy, but he is not interested in a full-time captaincy role, like, apparently, because he's still more concerned about what impact it may have on his individual game and considering how important a player he is in that 11, no matter the format. Do you have any ideas? Do you have any thoughts? choices would you would like to put forward as the t20a captain for afghanistan
0: yeah actually for afghanistan uh, like rashid is uh, one of their pivotal characters so i think like rashid's if at all like his work workload should be limited to setting his own field and going about his business because that is like four overs in the bank for a side like afghanistan is very valuable So definitely, teams will try to play Rashid out and then take the attack to the others. Uh, Very rarely you'll have someone who's reading Rashid well, and then he puts him to the attack. So definitely, it'll be a good idea like for him not to captain. And I don't know how many years the president has left in him. So like, uh, if he can, you know, like a stopgap arrangement because he's there in every franchise around the world, Uh, and he's playing crucial roles. And I think there is still a role for a traditional finger spinner in T Twenty. So if they can, for now, they take him and they maybe uh, like uh, someone else ready to step in for the role properly.
1: It's an interesting challenge because look, Kashmatullah Shahidi yeah. at least plays some T20s. So I would say unite the captaincies for now. Yeah, for now. Kashmatullah Shahidi has actually played a T20 this year because uh, they want a split captaincy, but I think it might be time to unite it because um, give give Rashid Khan the freedom he wants. And have right. Ashmaj Shahidi sort of build a team in his own image and in his own way of thinking and give that a chance. That would be the that would be the way forward, because look, Mohammad Nabi is only playing T20 um, ice and maybe ODIs, but Najibullah Sadran is there. He could be an option, right. but I don't see too many options. And usually you don't appoint a fast bowler because they tend to break down. Right.
0: And uh, about Mujib, uh, even Mujib can be considered, but we don't know his leadership skills and all. We haven't seen much. Yeah. Exactly. So, But he has to fix his place in the side first, in the current combination. They may not go with so many spinners all the time.
1: Absolutely. But look, Mujib Urhaman is not a spinner. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, with all due respect, he opens the bowling. Right, right. And he's a fast leg break bowler. Right. right? Correct. I would say... <laughs> When he's available, he plays. Right. This is something. And he's probably taking the place of a medium pacer mm-hmm. in that level. Correct. Right. He'll he'll open the he'll open with the new ball no matter the format, I dare mm. say. I don't know if he's a fixture in the test formats, but at least when it comes to limited hours formats, I see him playing whenever he's available. Mm. So it remains to be seen how it goes, of yeah. course. So some some thoughts. Let's see which way the board goes. They have some time to make these decisions before the World Cup. Now let's look at the trivia section. So the trivia question from the previous episode was, which captain holds the record for the most number of consecutive wins at the start of his Test career? So the clue I had given in the previous episode—I don't know if you got a chance to listen to it, Manju—was that uh, you have to go a few, few decades back at least. Okay. Any, any guesses?
0: Few decades back.
1: Okay. Well, go almost hundred years back.
0: Okay, hundred years back. Uh, yeah, uh, it is the big ship, Warwick Armstrong.
1: Fantastic, okay. fantastic guess. He was a contemporary of Warwick Armstrong. But it was from the other team, oh, Percy Chapman from England. Okay, okay. He won his first okay. uh-huh. nine tests in a row as captain.
0: Okay, it's fantastic.
1: That's the record. Okay. I mean,
0: yeah.
1: given the way we play cricket these days, I hardly think that's going to be broken, right? Yeah. If you look at yeah. if you look at this list, I'll tell you why your guess was so good. Warwick Armstrong is in second place with eight consecutive wins. Okay. Okay. Right. And very, very near the end of his career, out came Pussy Chapman, who won nine. Then the next highest is four. And there are multiple fours, right? W.G. Grace, Lord Hawk, Brian Close, Ali Bakar from South Africa, M.S. Dhoni, four, and Azam four, currently not out. Right. Okay. So it's 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 very interesting to see uh, that there used to be a time where teams could dominate each other. I think when Warwick Armstrong eight in a row would probably be all against England and South Africa probably in those days.
0: No, probably. Yes.
1: And Percy Chapman something similar, yeah, right? Yeah. So he captained England between twenty six and thirty. This this at least this unbeaten um, streak was between twenty six and thirty. Mm. So very interesting times. Yeah. Uh, these days, you you think it's very tough to. I mean, currently Azam has four. You think it's very tough for him to beat. Maybe we get to six, he would, would have got you great things. I think Azam six in a row. Definitely. that would Definitely mean you would have probably won the next series. Yeah.
0: As yeah.
1: Pakistan in a test. Exactly. That's fantastic already. Mm. Right. Right. All right. The trivia question from this episode, it's thanks to a friend of the show, Kaustub Gudipati from Twitter, right? Kaustats. So he came up with this. Stat that has become the question. So, remember my hint earlier, right? So, mm. what is common to every cricketer who has made a hundred on test debut in England in the 21st century? Mm. Okay. There is something which is unique to all the people who've made a test debut, uh, 100 in England mm. since 2000. So, what is this, right? So, you could probably give me an answer uh, off fair. Yeah, off fair. Right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> all right. Mm. Thanks a lot once again for uh, coming on the show as i said it's always a pleasure chatting to you yeah. would you like to give uh give out maybe a ways in which our uh, listeners could reach out to you Manju?
0: oh yeah uh, they could follow me on twitter at the rate of vmanjana is my handle and also i'm running this handle called the falling sweep it's uh, dormant for some time in pandemic times right and also they can uh, we also run this uh, podcast called click with a couple of friends from delhi uh, both are data scientists sunit and yasir So, you can also DM us at Krikvidya's official handle. It's at the rate of Krikvidya.
1: I've heard Krikvidya episodes and I think they've also gone a bit dormant or maybe I've not heard in the last couple of weeks because. Yes, yes.
0: Uh, Due to the, yeah, during the second wave, we haven't done much. Yeah. True, true.
1: All right. Yes. I used to listen to you guys, so I'm looking forward to listening to more episodes from you. Thanks. So, all the best with that. Yeah. Right. And in any case, all the best with all the work you're doing. And thanks a lot once again, because the kind of work you do is very important, no matter where you're doing it. Thank
0: you. And also, like recently, uh, with relation to your update, uh, please, all our users, listeners, uh, tweet at the rate of verified for a blue tick for Armchair Cricket Podcasts.
1: Thank you. Oh, very kind of you. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see if we can get it. I think they get 10,000 of those requests an hour or so, yeah. Twitter guys. <laughs> yeah. Let's see when they'll get to us. Yeah. All right. Thanks a lot, Maju, And uh, goodbye.
0: Yeah. Goodbye, Ajit. This is the Armchair Cricket Podcast.
1: sit back and enjoy